0: Okay, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 15. I'm going to read uh, the whole chapter 15, and then we're going to go back and uh, kind of get us caught back up where we are in the midst of the seven-year tribulation time frame. So in chapters 15 of Revelation, verse 1, it says, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, the seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last. Because in them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had come all victorious from the beast and from his image and from the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, O Lord God the Almighty. Righteous and true are thy ways. Thou King of the nations." who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify thy name. For thou alone art holy, for all the nations will come and worship before thee. For thy righteous acts have been revealed. After these things I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded around their breasts with golden girdles. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke and from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Okay, to, get, to set the stage of where we're at in chapter 15, it, this is a proclamation and a scene in heaven prior to the very last of the plagues or the very last of the judgments of God to be poured out upon the earth. Now, so where are we in this time frame? of the seven years. Well if you go back to Revelation eleven, if you'll remember the, and you may have it on if you got your charts, you can look at the charts. At the beginning of the revel at the beginning of the tribulation, the seven seals are opened one after another at the very beginning. The first seal is the program of the Antichrist. The second seal is the program of God taking peace from the earth, which indicates that throughout the seven years there's gonna be continual warfare and conflict among the nations. The third seal is famine and pestilence. Um, And the fourth seal is death, whereas because of the uh, wars and the pestilence and the disease and the famine and the wild animals, a fourth of the population is gonna be killed over the span of the entire seven years. The fifth seal is the martyrdom of believers, people that become believers during the Tribulation, primarily by the preaching of the 144,000 Jewish witnesses. Those who become believers are going to be persecuted and martyred, first in the first half of the Tribulation, by the false world religious system. In the second half of the Tribulation, they're going to be martyred by the Antichrist. Those who don't take the mark of the beast and worship the beast or worship the Antichrist will be killed if they are found out. So here you have all this uh, martyrdom of believers during the tribulation. These are not church saints. These are saints that become believers during the tribulation by the preaching of the 144,000 and by the two witnesses. The sixth seal, if you'll turn to Revelation 6 real quick, the sixth seal is the unleashing of the the creative order of catastrophes. In other words, judgments and, and catastrophes that come about because of God's created world, which means that would be meteors, that would be volcanoes, that would be tsunamis, that would be anything that, that would come from a unleashing of the natural order. So you have that sixth seal in verse 12 of chapter six. And I looked when he broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth and of hair. And the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when it's shaken by a great wind. And the sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Now the sixth seal occurs at the very beginning of the tribulation. All the seals are unleashed at the beginning. And the effects of the seals are the entirety of the events of the seven years. And so as each one of these seals is is unleashed, then its effects will carry out throughout the seven years. So at the very beginning of the tribulation, you're going to have a great earthquake, you're going to have a blackout of the sun, and you're going to have other natural catastrophes. And it is an unveiling of the wrath of God that's going to be present upon the earth for the entire seven years. Okay? So keeping that in mind, when you go back to, and hold your place there in 11, chapter 11, I'm going to get back to that. But in chapter 15, when we read that, verse 1, it said, The seven angels who have the seven plagues, in them the wrath of God is finished. So the seven plagues that are coming, or the seven bowl judgments, are the finishing of God's wrath, but the entirety of the seven years is the pouring out of God's wrath. It is not just the seven bowls that are the wrath of God. And I think that's where some of the people that hold to a pre-wrath rapture position hold to that only the wrath of God is in the last seven bowls, and that's not true. The entirety of the seven years is part of this wrath of God being poured out. And it happens at the very beginning with a blackout of the sun and earthquakes. And these natural disasters will continue throughout the seven years. And so throughout the seven years, there's going to be times and periods of times when things are going to happen and people are going to say, hide us from the wrath of God, hide us from the wrath of God. They're going to try to keep from being uh, killed by these disasters that happen. It's not just one time. There's There's at least four blackouts of the sun during the seven years and one at the very end. So you just have to keep in mind that these are ongoing occurrences of natural disorders that come about during the seven-year tribulation. Now, the seventh seal is unique because it is the outpouring of a supernatural type of judgment and wrath. And so out of the seventh seal... First comes seven trumpet judgments, and these seven trumpets are an unveiling or an unleashing of demonic activity, okay? Now, if you'll remember the seven trumpets, we started with the, the first one in, in chapter, uh, chapter 8, um, and it says the, the first sounded, and there was uh, hail and fire mixed with blood, and a third of the earth was burned up. Okay, now when we get to the bowl judgments. You're going to see the entirety of the earth is going to be affected in the bowl judgments. But here in the trumpet judgments, in the first half of the tribulation, a third of the earth was affected on this part. And so the second angel, and there was uh, a third of the sea became blood. The the third angel, uh, a star fell from heaven, burning like torch, and it fell on a third of the fresh water sources. So a third of the uh, fresh water was polluted. Uh, the fourth angel, and a third of the Natural light or the natural energy from the sun and the stars was affected in some way We don't know exactly how that's going to be about but a third of that would be affected on the earth the fifth, the the Fifth and the fifth trumpet and the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet are called the three woe judgments and These are three specific Satanic attacks on the earth Now the first woe judgment we know it was the fifth with fifth trumpet it's said in verse chapter 9, verse 1, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven, which had fallen to the earth, and the key to the bottomless pit was given to him. Now, this is a fallen angel. This star is an angel, uh, a demonic angel, or a fallen angel. And he opened up the bottomless pit, and smoke came out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. And out of the smoke came forth locusts upon the earth, and power was given to them as scorpions of the earth have power. And they were told that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now, so this first woe judgment is a demonic invasion or demonic attack on the men of the, the unbelievers of the earth that target those that do not have the seal. Now, the, the ones that we know specifically that have the seal are the 144,000. But it, it, we talked about this before. It indicates that this judgment of demonic activity is basic upon those who are unbelievers. Satan does not have the ability to come and target believers apart from a believer putting himself in that place where Satan can have some influence in his life, but not to target them specifically. Now, the second woe judgment, which is the sixth trumpet judgment, is in chapter 13. Um, And it says, again, the sixth angel sounded and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates, and the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and the month and year were released that they might kill a third of the mankind. And the number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. This is not Chinese. This is not mankind. This is 200 million demons. And they're given the power to kill a third of the people on earth. Now, that is a demonic invasion. And it is of a severe nature. And this happens in the, in the first, at the end of the first half of the tribulation. So this, third, this second woe judgment, which is the sixth trumpet judgment, occurs just before the middle of the tribulation. So it is a very intense, severe judgment upon the earth prior to the middle point of the, of the tribulation. Now, in chapter 11, you have the, the understanding we talked about the two witnesses the two witnesses that had been witnessing in Jerusalem for the first three and a half years of the tribulation. At the midpoint, you know the Antichrist, he gets killed and he comes back to life and he kills these two witnesses. They lay in the street for three and a half days and then God raises them up. He resurrects them and they ascend into heaven. And the whole world sees that. So in chapter 11, you have this, this event of the middle of the tribulation when the first three and a half years comes to a close and we have the introduction of the next three and a half years. So in chapter 11, verse 15, it talks about the seventh trumpet angel, which is the third woe judgment. Because in verse 14, it says the second woe is passed. In chapter 11, verse 14, the second woe is passed. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. And so in, in chapter 11, verse 15, it talks about, the second half of the tribulation and the, and what it's going to bring about, and so in verse fifteen it says the seventh angel sounded, and there arose loud voices in heaven, saying, "'The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the twenty four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, "We give thee thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who art and was because thou hast taken thy great power and hast begun to reign, and the nations were enraged, and thy wrath had came. And the, and the time came for the ju- dead to be judged and the time to give the reward to thy bond service, the prophets and to the saints and to those who fear thy name, the small and the great and to destroy those who destroy the earth. And the temple of God, which is in heaven was opened and the Ark of the Covenant appeared in his temple and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. Now, this third woe begins the second half of the tribulation. In chapters 12, 13, you have the, un- the unveiling of the unholy trinity. Okay? You have Satan who is cast down out of heaven in chapter 12. You, you know, Satan right now still, as an as a angelic being, he still has access to go before the throne of God and accuse the brother. That's what he did with Job. He went before God and accused the brother. At this moment in time, at the middle of the tribulation, Satan is no longer given access to the throne of God. He is cast down to the earth. And as he's cast down to the earth, he empowers the Antichrist to become the world leader. And he brings about this another person that we find in chapter 13, which is the false prophet. So here you have Satan portraying himself as God. You have the beast that comes up out of the nations, the Antichrist, portraying himself as the son or the Antichrist, the false Christ. And then you have this false prophet who portrays himself to be like the Holy Spirit. So you have Satan pretending to be like God, putting in place this this ruling situation, where God gives the, the Antichrist power to reign for, three, for 42 months. So the third woe judgment, the seventh trumpet judgment, is the unleashing of the satanic trinity upon the earth. So for the majority of the second half of the tribulation, the unfolding and the carrying out of this unholy trinity and controlling and ruling the world and causing all of the world to worship the beast and the, and the dragon is the majority of what's going on in the second half of the tribulation along with all the effects of the general judgments of God that carry over throughout the carrying out of all the sealed judgments. Do you understand that? Do you see that? So in chapter thirteen, when it says in verse eight, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written, been written from the foundation of the word of the world in the book of life of the Lamb, everyone on earth will worship the Antichrist, and they will take his mark. And there was in verse four, 16, And he causes all the small, the great, the rich, and the poor, and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand and on their forehand. And he promised that no one should be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. So then this whole, this whole scenario of the Antichrist system is put in place. He destroys the false religious system at the midpoint. He imposes himself up to be God, and he causes everyone to worship himself, and in worship him they're worshiping the dragon, and the false prophet points to the Antichrist for people to worship him and and his image, and if you do not take his mark, acknowledging that you are worshiping him as your God, then he will kill you, and you cannot have any access to any of the economic system that's put in place under the Antichrist rule. And so this is the program for the second half. And it flows out of the supernatural judgments of God. It flows out of the trumpet judgments. And the third woe is the rule of the Antichrist for the second half of the tribulation. It is extended throughout the second half. Now, when you read in chapter 11, this unveiling of the seventh trumpet, and it talks about it is going to bring about the end. It's going to bring about the kingdom of Christ. In verse 19 it says the temple of God which is in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and of earthquake and a great hailstorm. Translate that straight into chapter 15 verse 1 because that's where we're at now. We're, We're at the final days or the final stages of the second half of the tribulation. So the bold judgments will occur at the very end of the second half in very fast succession order, okay? Okay, you're going fast. Okay, slow down. Okay, so the Antichrist, his city, is the rebuilt Babylon. That's where his headquarters is. Right. Yes, yeah. it will be the, the, where Babylon was. Okay. He will build, rebuild his city of Babylon, which will be his, his headquarters. Okay. He still has the ten kings that now he killed seven of them, but the, the ten structured organization, political structure of the world is still in place. And they're all in harmony with him. So you've got a world political system that is controlled from Babylon. But it is distributed by these other ten kings. And so you have other people that are always in rebellion against their authority. But it's like, it's like if you have a government and then you've got people that are always against that government. So you're all over the world, he's going to impose this system. And he has the authority and the power to do so, but it doesn't mean people aren't going to be rebelling against it the whole time. But they don't have the power to do that. And he has imposed a a political system and a religious system and an economic system all tied together. Now, at the midpoint, when he imposes this himself up, and he puts his his image in the Holy of Holies, so he has kind of pushed his uh, religious center to the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem because that's where he put the image in the temple so people would worship the image. But they're still worshiping the beast, which is the Antichrist. And so he has completely destroyed the the false religious system that was put in place at the beginning of the tribulation to coalesce all the people to worship in an Antichrist theme. And the, the great apostasy or the apostasy in 2 Thessalonians is when Christendom renounces Christ and joins this religious system. And so that's in place until the midpoint, and then this, that mystery Babylon is destroyed in chapter seventeen of Revelation, but they destroyed it at the middle of the tribulation, whereas the political city of Babylon will be destroyed in chapter eighteen at the end. Just so. Offense, that was a, a yes. 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 It's a, you have a a. a a political system to control the world, but it is orchestrated from Babylon, but it goes out to the whole world. <laughs> yeah. Well, AI is going to be huge. You know what AI, AI is, has accomplished along with other thing, everything else? You can't believe anything anymore. You can't believe anything. Truth has been done away with. There is no truth that you can hold on to other than the Word of God. Because everything else out there, you can't believe. And and the more this becomes prevalent, the more it's going to be impossible for you to know when people are speaking the truth, because they're not. And it's it's, it's going to be part of, I think, the deception of the Antichrist and his ability to deceive the world is because no one can know the truth. And it is completely impossible because of AI and this deceptive power that's out there that what you see, you can't believe. So it's going to be uh, important that you understand that. Okay, so back to chapter 15. We're beginning to impose at the very end of the second half. Now, the majority of the judgments of the second half are the carryovers of the seal consequences, the breaking of the seals all the way through. You still have famines. You still have uh, all the natural disasters going on. You still have conflicts around the world that are fighting against the imposition of the Antichrist rule. You have all these things are taking place that's going to cause a tribulation and judgment upon people during this time. But the majority of the second half is, a, is an imposition or imposing of the will of Satan and the Antichrist upon the world and people being brought under that system, okay? And so it's in in that light that we have chapter 15, the scene in heaven preparing for the end of the tribulation in these last seven plagues. And again, the seven plagues, the wrath of God is finished with these. That is not the entirety of the wrath of God, even though these are the most severe forms of God's wrath that's poured out up until this time. Okay, so chapter, chapter 15, verse 2. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mixed with fire and those who had come all victorious from the beast and from his image and from the number of his name standing on the sea of glass holding harps of God. Now, how did these become victorious over the beast and his mark? They martyred. So go to chapter 20, chapter 20, in verse 4, as we're preparing for the thousand-year reign of Christ, he says in verse 4, chapter 20, And I saw thrones, and they set upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark upon their forehead and upon their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years." They'd been martyred, but they're resurrected prior to the thousand years, okay? So at the end of the tribulation, before the thousand years begins, these that died because they didn't take the mark of the beast and the, they were, had their heads cut off because they wouldn't take the mark of the beast, they wouldn't worship the, the beast, and so they, they were martyred. This is a picture of those in chapter 15. Verse 2 is the ones that became off victorious because they didn't take the mark of the beast, In other words, it says in chapter 16, uh, no, I'm I'm sorry, chapter 14. Remember what we said in chapter 14, verse 9. Another angel, third one, followed, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or upon his hand, he will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast and his image and whoever sees the mark of his name. Understand that the mark of the beast identifies the elect, the unelect, Versus the elect if you remember what we said in chapter 13 it says all in verse 8 all who dwell on the earth will worship him and take his mark everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb so if your name has been written from the foundation of the world that means if you've been elect of God from the foundation of the world and chosen in him you cannot and you will not take the mark of the beast But if your name hasn't been written in, then you will take the mark of the beast. So, if you do take the mark of the beast, there's no way that is saying that if you take the mark of the beast, well, you just lost your opportunity to be saved, and therefore you blew it. No, if your name was written in the book of life, you will not worship the beast because God has kept you from that event. There is no way God's eternal purpose cannot and will not be fulfilled. If God chose you from the beginning of the world, he has predestined that you be glorified, predestined that you be conformed to the image of his Son, and there's nothing that can change that fact. God is sovereign in that. So these that take the mark of the beast, it, it identifies those who hate God and are not chosen of God. The ones that are chosen of God cannot and will not take the mark of the beast. So you're saying that, you're not saying that if they have the mark of the beast, that somehow they can go back and, and then um, be a believer, that once no. it's done, it is done, but you're saying that was set from the foundation of the world. Exactly. You will not, and you cannot, take the mark of the beast if you are elect of God. So, those who go into the millennial kingdom alive, who are not believers, let's say, say children, or how how does that work? (laughs) Okay, those who go into the millennial kingdom are all believers. Okay? So what you have in Matthew chapter 25, uh, verse 30, you have the judgment of the sheep and the goats. So if you go to Matthew 25, verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in His glory, that was, that's when He comes back to earth in Revelation 19, the King of kings. So when He comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. Now, the throne of the Son is not in heaven. He was promised, the angel promised to Mary, your son will reign on the throne of David. David's throne is an earthly throne in Jerusalem on this earth. He will reign there as the millennial king of Israel and of the whole world. So when he's coming and he sits on his glorious throne... At the prior to the beginning of the millennial kingdom, he will bring in all of the gentiles that survived the tribulation. So, at the, the gentiles that survived the tribulation are brought to the Valley of Jehoshaphat or wherever that's going to be, and, and he brings them all there, and he separates the sheep from the goats. The sheep are the righteous ones that survive; the goats are the ones that have the mark of the beast that survived physically. And so these, the, the goats of the unrighteous ones, they will die on the spot. Their souls will go to hell, awaiting the resurrection of their, of their souls at the Great White Throne Judgment. <coughs> and the righteous ones will go into the kingdom in their physical bodies. And then they will have children during the physical bodies. So the righteous ones, whatever age they are, will be go into the kingdom in a righteous state, in a saved state. There will be no one that enters into the kingdom in a physical body that will be unrighteous, that will be unsaved. And that's another reason why I would, I would suggest or I would submit that you cannot have a post-trib rapture of the church because if you had a post-trib rapture church, then all believers at that time would be translated into a glorified state and no one would go into the kingdom age able to have children. So if you believe that at the end of the tribulation, just prior to the kingdom, there is a translation of all saints, then there's no one that can go into the kingdom in a physical body. And we know that during the kingdom, there's people going to be born in a natural way. Yes, okay. at the end of the millennial kingdom. Yeah, it'll be a youth movement because we know that in Isaiah 65, it says that the ones that are not saved at the time they reach 100, they will die. So at the end of the millennial kingdom, they will have a a lot of people born during the kingdom age. There will be a mass number of people under the age of 100 that will not be saved, that Satan will deceive and try to overthrow the king. And then God will send fire down from heaven and kill them at the end. Okay. That's good. Any other questions? I don't want to get ahead of anybody. I want to make sure everybody understands what we're at. Okay. So these in Revelation 15 that are standing before the throne are the ones that have been put to death by the Antichrist and therefore they are victorious because they didn't take the mark of the beast and they demonstrated that they were the elect of God. Okay? And so now we know that we're, we're at the end of the tribulation because this is pretty much, he's already accomplished this toward the end of the tribulation. So these last seven bowls are going to be fairly close together at the end of the tribulation time. And they sang the song of Moses and of the sponsor of God and the song of the Lamb. Now, the song of Moses... Um, I think it's a reference to uh, Deuteronomy thirty-two, and especially toward the end of that, it makes it clear what Moses' prophetic song is about. Um, You get down to uh, Deuteronomy chapter thirty-two, and the Song of Moses goes all the way from chapter uh, verse one all the way down to verse forty-three. But in verse 42, it says, I will make my arrows drunk with blood. My sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and of the captives and of the long-haired leaders of the enemy. Rejoice, O nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. He will render vengeance on his adversaries. He will atone for his land and his people. So that's the end of the Song of Moses. If you know the Song of the Lamb is in, in Revelation 5. In Revelation 5, where you have the scene in heaven of no one was found worthy to open the book or to break the, the seals that, uh, that kept the book. And the book is the title deed of the earth, of the, of the right to rule the universe, the right to rule the earth. And the lamb of the tribe of Judah, um, uh, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome. And he stood as a lamb having been slain, which is Jesus Christ. And the song of the Lamb is in verse 9. They sang a new song saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals. For thou was slain and did purchase for God with thy blood. Men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And thou hast made them to be a kingdom and preach to our God. And they will reign upon the earth. So we're preparing for the kingdom age. That's the whole point of this, the seals being broken is to unleash the events that bring in the kingdom. So all the events of the tribulation are included in the seven seals. And the seven seals give birth to the kingdom age. And the saints of God will be a kingdom of priests and we will reign with Christ for a thousand years on this earth. And so the entirety of the, the tribulation time and the judgments are the events that give birth. That's why it's called in chapter 24 of Matthew the birth pangs. It gives birth to the kingdom age. So they sang the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, O Lord God, the Almighty, righteous and true are thy ways, thou King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou alone art holy, for all the nations will come and worship before thee, for thy righteous acts have been revealed. So the righteous acts is his judgment on the earth to bring about his wrath. "...and cleansing of the earth to prepare for the kingdom age in which all of the nations, the Gentile nations, will then come together and worship Him during the, the millennial kingdom." So during the millennial kingdom you will have Gentile nations, the ones that were the, the, the sheep. Now the sheep and the goats are all Gentiles. And why are the Jews not included in that? Hmm? They're, all saved. They're all saved. Right? So at the second coming of Christ, every Jew that is alive at that time will be saved. And the Jews as a national people will cry out right before He comes back to earth and acknowledge that Jesus is their Messiah and they will cry out for Him to come and save them and He will come and deliver them. That's what Romans chapter 11, 25 says. He will come from Zion and deliver them and all Israel will be saved. So the reason the sheep and the goats are gathered because they are the Gentiles, because you have a mixture of saved and unsaved. And the Jews are all saved, and so they are witnesses of this judgment of the sheep and the goats. And when Jesus is judging the sheep and the goats, he basically is saying, As you have done to these my brethren, I will do to you. So if you help these my brethren escape from the program of the Antichrist to annihilate the Jews, it demonstrated that you were the elect of God and you were not joining the Antichrist program. And you proved by your works that you were saved. And those that did not help the Jews but joined in the Antichrist and his program to annihilate the Jews, then they demonstrated by their actions they hated the Jews and they hated God. And that's what the whole program of the judgment of the sheep and the goats is about. is how you responded to the program of Satan and the program of God. Which gives evidence... That you are born again. Now what does it say in John 3 when he's talking to Nicodemus? You must be born again. Well, how do you know you've been born again? Well, it's like the wind. You don't know where it came from. You don't, know how, you don't know anything about how it originated. So how do you know the wind is there? What it produces. So you're born again, or you're born of God, because it produces in you a desire to do righteous things instead of a desire to do unrighteous things. And so that was the basis for that judgment. Any other questions? Okay, so chapter 15. So after these things, in verse 5, I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle, a testimony in heaven was opened, and the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded round their breasts with golden girdles. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power, and no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished." These are the seven last plagues that finish the wrath of God. These are the culmination of the tribulation time, and it will bring an end to the tribulation. Now, I'm going to start with the first uh, three or four bold judgments just to give you a gist of how it happens. These will happen very quickly, very rapidly, in succession, in a successive order at the very end of the tribulation, at the very end of the second half of the tribulation, and they will occur very quickly. And you'll understand why they'll occur very quickly because no one can survive. So you, you get back to the very uh, the point that is made in Matthew 24 again. Um, after he gives an overview of the entirety of the tribulation, he says... In verse 22, unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. For the sake of the elect, these days will be cut short. That don't mean the time period is cut short. It means he brings it to a quick end. Because if he didn't bring it to a quick end, you couldn't survive. You couldn't survive these seven bold judgments if he didn't bring it to an end. So it has to happen very quickly and very toward the end. Verse 1 of chapter 16, I heard a loud voice with... From the temple, saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the seven bowls of the wrath of God onto the earth. And the first angel went out and poured out on his bowl into the earth, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore upon the men who had the mark of the beast and who worshiped his image. All right, so the first bowl of the final wrath of God is to bring a judgment upon those who gleefully and joyfully were deceived into worshiping and following the Antichrist. Now, Rocky's message this morning, what were the two words we were told? Follow Follow who? So who did these follow? They followed Satan. And the Antichrist gladly taking his mark, gladly bound down to worship him. Now, why, why do you think they did that? It wasn't just so that they could buy and sell. It wasn't just, just so that they uh, could not suffer. It says in verse 9 of 2 Thessalonians 2, it says, This is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, so as to be saved, for this reason God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false. They believe in him. They believe in him. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to give you a little commercial. I'm supposed to preach on February the 18th. And I'm going to bring a message about the difference between faith and faith. They believed. That's not the same kind of belief that it takes to believe in Jesus Christ. So how do you go from being able to believe a lie or being able to believe the truth? It's important because sometimes we think that it's human faith that causes us to believe, and it's not. And so we have to understand the difference between those. But these actually believed in what they were doing. And they believed in the lie. They believed in the deception. They believed in the manifestations of power and miracles and signs and wonders. And they were caught up in that, and they believed it. And part of the message of in Christ is they hated God, because Satan hates God and everything about him. And so they believed. And so God poured out upon those that took the mark of the beast a loathsome, malignant sore. It's kind of like the boils that came upon the plagues of Egypt. It was something that just oozed with the, the terror and the, the agony of being just infested with sores. And so it was a, it was a loathsome and malignant sore on those who were in the kingdom of the Antichrist. The second angel poured out his bowl, verse 3, on the sea, and it became blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. Now, what is the blood like in a dead man? Huh? Coagulated. Yes. It's like it's coagulated. I mean, it... It clots. It's just, it's just thick. It, it's Yes. It says here that the whole oceans, the salt water sources, are made into that kind of blood, whereas nothing in the oceans can survive. Now, can you imagine taking all of the salt water and making it completely dead and everything in it dead? where there's nothing there but death. That's what he's saying. The whole ocean, seas, the saltwater sources are filled with putrefied death. All the sea life, everything is dead. Now, how long can the earth survive with that? Not long. Fourth, verse 4, And the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, Righteous art thou who art and who wast, O holy one, because thou didst judge these things. For they poured out the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink. They deserve it. So all the fresh water becomes like it did in Moses' judgment upon Egypt. The fresh waters became like blood. And all they had to drink was the blood, the water that came turned to blood. And so I'm sure God has made provision for those that are at the end of the time of the tribulation that are saints to where they had stored some water pots or something that didn't turn to blood. But you can imagine. I mean, how long can the people on the earth survive when there is no water to drink? And they're already in a state of where there is total famine because everything's been so destroyed in the earth that there's shortages of food and shortages of everything else. And now you have no fresh water. This is bad. This is the wrath of God being poured out at the end of the tribulation in a severe, drastic way. Verse 7, I heard the altar saying, O Lord... God, the Almighty, true and righteous of thou judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given it to scorch men with fire, and the men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who had the power over the plagues, and they did not repent so as to give him glory. So now he turns the heat up on the sun. And here you have a situation where there's no fresh water, there's nowhere fresh water to get anything to drink, to cool yourself down, and then he turns the heat up on the sun, and it just scorches you with heat. So it goes from bad to worse. And yet, do they repent? Do they turn to God and cry for mercy? No. Because those who are in a state of deadness and condemnation, unless the power of God changes their heart, they cannot repent. They cannot turn to God and believe in him. And so they do not give him glory. They've taken the mark of the beast. They're not the elect of God, and they will not repent. They cannot repent, and they keep shaking their fist at God and rebelling against God. One more. And the fifth angel poured out his bowl upon the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became darkened, and they gnawed their tongues because of pain, and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. They did not repent of their deeds. So here you have the fifth angel Bold judgment, which is another blackout where it is a darkness that, is, that causes intense pain. I don't even know what that would be like. But it is a darkness that you cannot get comfort from at all. It creates a, an intense pain, an intense reality of the darkness of the world that you're living in. You, you you chose the lawless one, you chose the darkness of this world, and God has given you complete darkness that causes pain, excruciating pain. And so the kingdom of the Antichrist is filled with the darkness. Now, we know that this darkness may or may not extend until the second coming of Christ, but we know at the time that Christ enters from heaven and... Matthew 24, verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. So we know that at the end of the tribulation, after it's over, that the world will become dark and the Shekinah glory will shine as Christ comes out of heaven as the king of kings and lord of lords. Everybody's going to see that. This bold judgment here could conceivably be a darkness that only is on the throne of Babylon, or on the city of the Antichrist, and his kingdom and his thing. It probably extends beyond that. Uh, it could be a short duration of a darkness that is, uh, that is a judgment at that time. It doesn't seem like it would be the last darkness that comes upon the whole earth. At the coming of the because tri- it's after the tribulation of those days, so it's probably not the same one. But there is a the bowl judgment here is the is a darkness that, that excruciates, uh, causes excruciating pain. Now I'm going to stop there because the the sixth bowl is the unveiling of Armageddon, and there's a lot of confusion about. The term Armageddon. So we're going to wait and talk about that next time. About, I mean, we read six angel in verse twelve poured out his bowl upon the great river of the Euphrates and its water was dried up that the way might be prepared for the kings of the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs, and they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole earth and to gather them together for the war of the great day of God Almighty. So here is the, um, in verse 16, and they gather them together to the place which in the Hebrew is called har So we'll talk about the sixth bowl, which is the preparation for the actual coming back to earth of Christ to uh, engage the Antichrist in an actual fight, which the Antichrist is preparing. So the sixth bowl is preparing by bringing all the armies of the earth together to fight that last battle. And so that's what the Sixth Bowl uh, judgment is, is is causing all the armies of the earth to be deceived into thinking that they can come to Israel. They will gather in northern Israel, um, the Valley of Jezreel, at the base of Megiddo, and that's where they will be gathered in preparation to fight against the coming Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So we'll pick up there next week, and we're getting into the final stages of preparing for the kingdom because we're at the very last stages of the events that have to take place before Christ comes back, and then the kingdom goes. There's a lot of things that happen at the very end prior to the setting up of the kingdom, so we will go through those things in the next few weeks to come, and uh, we'll try to get there.